Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Denley. That is your co-host, Rob Dunham. Hi. <laughs> Somehow he has been allowed to be in my house with a jersey on. Uh, I am that magnanimous, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is, I guess. <laughs> if it's any consolation, the Penguins are terrible at hockey right now, so... It is somewhat of a consolation, yeah. yes. <laughs> Not that I really have any room to uh, judge on that front, but I'll, I will take, uh, if we can't, we be the Flyers can't be good, at least the Penguins are bad. Yeah. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll take consolations where we get them. <laughs> this is not an early season hockey podcast, however. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Upcoming. <laughs> New to the podcast feed, coming soon. <laughs> Uh, but it is a movie podcast, and we have an excellent uh, show in store for you. We are going to, of course, talk about the box office. We're going to talk about Peacock with good news slash bad news on their streaming service. News. <laughs> Depends on how you look at it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about how to improve movie theaters and random topics of dealer's choice. So we'll inject a little bit of unknown into the podcast and wrap up with our watch list. All right. You ready, Rob? I am so ready. Let's do it. Number one in the box office with a, I got to say, a ridiculous, I did not see this coming amount. Five Nights at Freddy's did $80 million. It's opening wow. weekend. <laughs> $80 million. I I mean, the movie got blah reviews, including by our mm -hmm. esteemed co-hosts here, and it streamed on Peacock and made $80 million. See, I will say, though, that although it did get not great reviews from a lot of people, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is like 90%. Interesting. So apparently there are a lot of people who really like this movie. Now, it was based on a video game, if I yes. remember correctly. So it did have some level of built-in audience. Uh, however, that is a shocking number. I, I will say that it, I did watch it again. Mm -hmm. So I think that I may have judged it too harshly the first time. Okay. I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but I don't think it's a horrible movie. <laughs> it's an okay movie. I think my main issue with it is I feel that it could have been... A much better movie than it ended up being okay yeah 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 i got you i got you okay that's i mean we'll, we'll get into it in a second i'll go through the rest of the list uh five minutes of phrase knocked off taylor swift so that's mm -hmm. nothing to sneeze at taylor swift's uh eras tour made 15.4 million it's up to 150 million gross on that one by the way pillars of the flower moon did an additional uh Additional nine point three million in its second week. That was a fifty nine point nine uh, percent decrease. Uh, so slightly above average on uh, on the decrease mm. from week one to week two. So it did not get a week two boost by yeah. any stretch. Uh, number four was another new movie after death, five million, and The Exorcist Believer did three point two million in its fourth weekend in the box office. Uh, so that movie is up to 59 million uh, domestic box office. So, so yeah, just circling back to Five Nights at Freddy's, yeah. I just looked it up. The 
Rotten Tomatoes critic scores 30%, mm. and the Rotten Tomatoes audience scores 88%. Interesting. So this is what we often talk about mm-hmm. with some movies, that they're incredibly polarizing. And yeah. uh, we've talked often about the dissonance between the Academy and yeah. what the general audience feels. Mm-hmm. And this would obviously be a clear representation of the general audience mm-hmm wants this movie yeah and i think i think one of the things places like rotten tomatoes or other review sites they're looking at it from sometimes a different perspective they're looking at it, okay overall is this a quality movie versus the fans are looking for like we know what we're getting into we know what we want out of it what we expect if you give us what we want we'll be happy <laughs> so i think that's a different level of criteria than what a traditional uh reviewer would look at it as and i don't know maybe that's there's a flaw there in the review Mm. in the in the way critics think about movies perhaps we know there's a flaw in how academy votes Mm -hmm. but yeah that'd be it's interesting um any other any other talk of five nights and fridays uh well this is interesting to me because i i'm just looking up an article about this and we've talked about like the fact that it's coming out the same day streaming yeah, to us would seem to indicate that they were like unsure about it. Mm-hmm. But what Peacock, what Universal is saying is the opposite. that They were so sure it was going to have enough reaction from the public to go to the theater that they could afford to do both at the same time. Now, if that's that, maybe that's revisionist <laughs> history based on how it's doing, but that's what they're going with. Like, I, it, you know, it would seem to me like if you you'd want to drive them to the theater and then you want to drive them to the streaming service. Mm-hmm. It, I still don't. I don't, I don't yeah, it seems revisionist history, but hey, you know when you put out a movie that no one was expecting that much out of that makes eighty million yeah. in its opening weekend. Uh, you know, I I think the one thing with this is it was Halloween weekend, mm-hmm. and like the you know obviously Halloween it was the weekend right before Halloween. And so if you're looking to go to some sort of scary movie, this was the newest, biggest thing out in the box office. So timing might have been might have helped on this. Uh, I think they're also basing it off like what I'm seeing and and reading is mm -hmm. that the their belief in this model was due a lot to the reaction they saw on social media Mm. to their posts about it, to information that they were slowly trickling out about it. Okay. Um the engagement that they had with it, they said was at a higher level hmm. than any other movie they had worked on. Oh, that's really interesting. So they anticipated that it would translate into real world box office numbers, which sometimes it doesn't, but, but the, the difficulty with that, I related a lot to our own personal social media, like on Facebook. Yeah. How many friends do you have <laughs> and how many of those are actually your friends? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think the same thing would apply to, movies and posting on their social media about a movie and then actually mm-hmm. you know seeing what is run out with people yeah because i mean you know it's the easiest thing in the world to to like something or whatever on social or watch something on social media mm-hmm. that does not necessarily mean that's going to translate to actually going out and going to see a movie yeah but it can and so that's it's really interesting that that's the case I mean, we've seen, too, that I think the fact that it was rated PG-13, the show I went to, mm-hmm. there it was like a family-type atmosphere. There were a lot of, like, um, 
early teen to maybe a little bit younger than that kids at mm-hmm. a theater when I was there, which is something that I wouldn't necessarily have anticipated because yeah. even though it's based on a video game, the video game is like a mature rated video game. It's got violence in it. It's dark. It's a horror video game. Yeah. So it's not like Mario. True. Like you wouldn't expect the same audience. No. <laughs> but still, I saw a lot of kids there, and that kind of surprised oh, me really a little bit. And I think that's part of what's pushed this that it's it's to a broader audience than maybe a lot of people expected. Yeah, I, and I wonder. I mean, we talked about PG thirteen horror as a negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there isn't a segment of of people that yeah. wouldn't mind a PG thirteen horror. I mean, I'll say this: film. my wife made it all the way through this movie streaming it at mm. home on peacock after i saw it in the theater mm. and she doesn't watch scary stuff yeah so i don't know if maybe there's just enough story involved mm. to keep people yeah interested in it or initially interested in it but whatever they did it i mean sometimes we get surprised <laughs> yeah you know even though we talk <laughs> about movies all the time sometimes we get surprised Bar- barbie and oppenheimer certainly surprised us and this yeah. is a surprise so, yeah for sure for sure all right. Uh, any other thoughts on any of the movies in the box office? Uh, I mean, obviously, FNAF is the big one. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. So that's uh, what was in the box office. Now let's look at what is in the box office. Opening this weekend, we have several movies actually. Uh, none of them are like big giant releases, but there are several intriguing candidates. Uh, the first one comes out this weekend is The Marsh. King's Daughter. And this stars Daisy Ridley and Ben Mendelsohn. And it is uh, a tense thriller uh, about a woman with a secret past who ventures into the wilderness she left behind to confront the most dangerous man she's ever met, her father. Hmm. In the film, Helena, played by Daisy Ridley, seemingly ordinary life hides a dark and dangerous truth. Her estranged father is the infamous Marsh King the man who kept her and her mother captive in the wilderness for years. When her father escapes prison, Helena will need to confront her past. Knowing that he will hunt for her and her family, Helena must find the strength to face her demons and outmaneuver the man who taught her everything she knows about survival. So that that one's kind of interesting. Uh, I got kind of a, uh, a drama thriller. The next one is... Uh, Priscilla, and this is directed by Sofia Coppola, starring Kaylee Spaney and Jacob Elrodi. And this is when a teenage Priscilla Beaulieu—I did not pronounce that right—meets <laughs> Elvis Presley at a party. The man who was already a meteoric rock and roll star becomes someone entirely unexpected in private moments. So this has uh, to do with Elvis and Priscilla from uh, the perspective of priscilla which is a very interesting story to tell because she was very very underaged compared (laughs) to elvis when they met so yeah interesting there have been some pushbacks i i saw his daughter had some pushback about how sofia coppola chose to uh to do this and and the tone she chose uh with this one Mm. so that's that's kind of interesting uh be curious to see uh, what happens along those lines? A um, couple other ones that came out. Um, 
one of them is uh, what happens later and this is a this is a romantic comedy uh, starring Meg Ryan and David Duchovny directed by Meg Ryan and so this is two ex-lovers Bill and Willa get snowed in at a regional airport overnight delayed indefinitely Willa a magical thinker and Bill a catastrophic one find themselves just as attracted to and annoyed by one another as they did decades earlier. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> yes. So that's a rom-com. What happens later? I think. Ah, yes. And this for one week only Oppenheimer back in IMAX. Hmm. Yes. They were the release Oppenheimer back in the IMAX theaters for one week only this week. Because uh, next week the Marvels will take over the IMAX mm. theater, but uh, they are doing a re-release of Oppenheimer. So if you're near an IMAX theater, check that one. Out. One thing I will say after seeing it in the full seventy millimeters, I don't think I could see it in like the <laughs> just regular IMAX. Regular IMAX, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm spoiled. Yeah, I know. I just wish King of Prussia could, you know, just move a little closer. Mm-hmm. That'd be really cool. They are not releasing as many in 70 millimeter for okay. the second round. I think okay. there's only like six. Okay. I think the closest one's like New York City. Okay. Uh, Fair enough. To us. Uh, so they're not doing 70 millimeter for as, as many as they did before, but they will have it back in IMAX theaters for this week. I wonder if the ones that are doing it again, like just kept it. <laughs> or if they had to send it back and then get it yeah i wonder how that went yeah maybe they're like <laughs> just keep that for a while so if for some reason you were hiding under a rock and didn't see oppenheimer you have a chance to do so again or like most of us it might be worth a rewatch mm-hmm. uh, now that we've had some some space away from it uh so that's what's in what uh based on based on what's in the box office this week uh anything intriguing you uh it was the marsh king's daughter yes that, mm-hmm. that's the one that sounds the most interesting i think yeah yeah i i agree i i do you see where the crawl dads sing i have it sitting on my desk <laughs> the blu-ray i've borrowed it from my best friend but i've not watched it yet. uh it it wasn't a badly it was a it was a well very well done movie i didn't i didn't love all of the you know like backwoods marshiness of okay. it and there's i mean and there's a whole nother, there's not even getting into the philosophical aspects mm-hmm. of the movie. Uh, but so that's the I only consider the, the plot sounds intriguing. The story sounds intriguing. I just don't know if I'm up for like a whole long Marsh movie again. Mm-hmm. That would be my only downside. But I agree. I think it sounds, I think it sounds really intriguing. That'd be the one that I would look towards as well. Um, I do want to see Oppenheimer again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'll get a chance to, but I, I kind of do want to see it again. So we'll see. On, on, on a slightly related, unrelated note. Mm-hmm. So I have a 4K Blu-ray player that's been unused because I don't know where the remote is and it doesn't have buttons on it. <laughs> but I found out that I can get a three-way remote at Target for like $10. Yeah. That should work with it. <laughs> so that's happening today. <laughs> Because as cool as streaming in 4K is, the quality with the disc is, is so, much better. so much better. Yeah, and I I do have a few movies on 4K disc, so I want to see if I can get that hooked up and and it would save me having to spend six hundred dollars on a PlayStation Five. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, two things on this. I have not. Uh, I still don't have a 4K TV which means I still don't have a 4K player. 
I think it's, uh, I, I'm really sad to you, audience, but like, does that disqualify him from, from having a movie <laughs> podcast? Uh... <laughs> I, I, I badly want one. I have not been able to justify it to my spouse who sees a perfectly good working TV. <laughs> It'd be a real shame someone threw a rock at your TV. Yeah. And the problem is, is that I did so much research and bought such a good TV like 11 years ago that it still <laughs> really works really well and it's still functioning at a high level. <laughs> I am a victim of my success 10 yeah, years ago yeah. <laughs> or whatnot. So, but all that to say, I have been buying when I, the bigger movies that I buy, mm -hmm. I will buy them with a with the 4K because it usually comes 4K, yeah. Blu-ray, digital. Yeah, and that way I have I have a whole bunch of movies that I already have the 4K edition. Nice. Planning for one day. You now, if you ever want to watch a movie in 4K, you just come to my house. And we watch in my house. We may have to. We may have to make that happen <laughs> at some point. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm sure in, in five years, uh, whenever the new technology is out, I'll be feeling the same way because I invested pretty heavily in a really nice TV two years ago. Yeah. Um, but hey, that's how technology <laughs> that's, works, that's, right? That's life, you know, that's what it is. And then so someday the movies will just beam, be beamed straight into our heads and we don't mm -hmm. even have to worry about a TV anymore. Yep. All <laughs> right, so we'll move on from the box office. Uh, now, one news story that we're going to cover, uh, and this is Peacock lost... $565 million in quarter three. That sounds bad. On streaming. But it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it is, in fact, the best quarter for them this year. Huh. They It's also a quarter in which they gained 4 million subscribers. <laughs> it's also a quarter in which, of course, saw Oppenheimer come out mm -hmm. and make a ton of money. Yes, Peacock lost $565 million uh, through the quarter that ended in September. And of course, now my thing just cleared out. This sounds like task failed successfully. <laughs> territory yes. here. So, and just to put this into consideration here, um, Peacock, they, they posted an $830 million revenue in quarter three. But they lost five hundred and sixty-five million on Peacock. But oh gosh, I keep opening this. I keep opening this thing and it keeps shutting down. <laughs> like right when I'm about to read a stat from it. Uh, okay, so they previously lost six hundred and fifty million from April till June, hmm. and seven hundred four million from January to March. So <laughs> this, this is, I mean. These numbers are staggering to yeah. think about. Um, and they're projecting that they're likely to lose $880 million in the fourth quarter because that's when a lot of the sports rights and like contents things are actually uh, realized. Interesting. Uh, so they're looking towards that. But this was actually their best quarter in streaming. And they actually, their stock actually went up a little bit mm. as the revenue went up. Um, I wonder if the surprise success of Five Night at Five Nights at Freddy's will yeah. help their projections mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. So they got four million, they got four million new subscribers in the quarter. They're at about 28 million subscribers overall. Uh, most of them are on the ad tier, which is $5.99 a month, as opposed to the $11.99 ad free version. 
Uh, so we're still seeing that as the trend is people are still willing to go for the cheaper tier mm -hmm. and put up with the commercials versus the ad free. Um, but that is, they're expecting a $2.8 billion loss in streaming this year from Comcast. So my question is like, I, I well, it's not really a question or a statement. I don't really see how streaming will ever be profitable. It, it, it seems, it seems hard. So is it is it just something that's like buoyed up by how everything else does with Universal? I guess. Yeah. I. It's really hard to say. I mean, I think there will be a couple of streaming services that make money, and everyone else will lose money. I feel like mm -hmm. that's the direction it goes. It's like the big whatever the big player is at the moment will make will make a decent amount of money, and everyone else will lose. Because I I think I mean. I don't know how familiar you are with like some of Amazon's strategies, but Amazon's business strategy is basically capture market share mm -hmm. and then worry about profitability later. <laughs> so, so part of their strategy has always been like gain the users, gain the subscribers, gain everybody using your services, and then then we'll figure out how to make a profit. I wonder if there's not if there's not a level of that, particularly in the late commerce to streaming, like Peacock was later, mm -hmm. like all the all the ones that have come down the pike um, that their goal is attract and keep subscribers first, and then mm. we'll figure it out later. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that that model is ever going to work because I don't know that people will have the same loyalty to streaming services that they yeah. have to like a business like Amazon. But I also don't think that we're ever, uh, I, I think we're at the point now where we're past going back. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think we'll see more things like the th movies being released on streaming the same day as in the theater. I don't think we're going to go back to that never happening again. No. I think, um, I mean, the, the movie industry changed. Yeah. Unalterably mm -hmm. with COVID. Yeah. And it's not going to ever go back to what it was. Not in the same way. Yeah. Definitely not in the same way. And I mean, the biggest casualty was the time difference between theaters mm. and, and streaming release. Like that time difference is cut yeah. significantly, very significantly. I mean, it used to be like sometimes like six, eight months mm -hmm. between a movie's theatrical run and when it came out for purchase. And now it's, you know, we're talking sometimes like two months yeah. <laughs> or the <laughs> same day or same day. <laughs> we were just talking about, um, so it's really fascinating to see this. Um, we didn't cover it. It was one of the articles I had flagged like a month or two ago, but uh, Max was in a similar boat of losing losing a significant amount of money mm -hmm. on some of that since they came over. And I think they even I think they even siphoned off one of was it uh, AMC, I think was siphoned off mm -hmm. from from the Max envelope partially as a result. But uh, another thing in this is um, Comcast, which is of course Peacock's parent company still owns one third of Hulu while Disney owns the other two thirds of Hulu. Mm. Uh, and they have been trying to work out a deal for Comcast to sell their third to Disney so that Disney would wholly own Hulu. And they've been going back and forth on, uh, on evaluations. Mm. So they had a previous evaluation, but it's old. And now they're both sides are trying to like get independent evaluators to do this. So they're trying to work out a deal uh, I couldn't. I couldn't have told you that 
Comcast still owns some of who. Yeah, I didn't know that. I did not know that either. So that's part of this report. But uh, interesting developments in the streaming world, that's for sure. And we'll see. We'll see where this uh, where this ball keeps rolling. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like good news, bad news there for yeah. Peacock. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's move on to our discussion elements uh, for the day. And the first one, we're going to talk about movie theater experience. We've we've talked a lot about about the theater from the avenue of the movie studios. Like, how can you get movies into theaters? How can you help the, the theater industry? Now we're going to go from the other direction. What are things that theaters can do to improve the experience that might uh, drive people to come to the theaters more often? Uh, so how we can go back and forth on on elements if we have more than one as to different things we would consider. Yeah, I think some of this is is uh, just down to what demand is mm-hmm. so even though these are things i might want the reality is it's probably not going to happen <laughs> and i've seen the opposite happen yeah with some things and the first thing that comes to mind for me is being more creative uh with like what you have for food drinks mm. etc okay in the theater setting mm-hmm. and i say i've seen this going the opposite way because there's a theater in york uh queensgate Cinema, she used to be called Frank Cinema, is now yeah. called RC Theater. They used to have a full bar there. Like they used to I have that, like man. other like food you could get. Yeah. In addition to like regular theater food. And that whole part of the front of the theater is closed hmm. because they just don't have the staff to operate it or the you know demand of the people to keep it open. And then you go to like there's a place in Lancaster called Real Cinema. They have a bar, full bar. Um they have like some other food stuff too, like hot, like, mm-hmm. more like meal stuff. Oven pieces. Yeah. And I've, I've enjoyed my experience there. And I like when, when I went to um, the Regal Cinema in King of Prussia too, they have a full bar there. And, you know, not this is all about <laughs> the bar, <laughs> but it's just that it adds something unique or different in addition to just what your standard popcorn soda. Mm-hmm. nachos kind of goes now i do think regal has done a decent job they've like like the uh like cheetos popcorn mm-hmm. or like doritos nachos like they they add like little flair to some certain parts of things they do which i think is beneficial you know and gives a little bit more varied experience mm-hmm. and there's just the reality is there's not a even though i'm saying this there's not a whole lot you can necessarily do when you're employing the kind of staff they're employing, you're, you can't expect to train them to do a ton of extra stuff outside of the normal movie theater experience. But it's just when I've had the opportunity to be in that kind of setting where there is a little more, it's just it adds a level of enjoyment to it. Yeah. That um, I think would be beneficial for mm-hmm. theaters to look at. Yeah. I will piggyback on that one later. Uh, but the first one I will talk about is you have to maintain a standard of your theater. Mm. Like that's the first thing is not only maintain, but constantly improve the standard of your theater. What we've seen so often is, is that the, the, the quality of, of the theater just keeps going down. Um, they're not, they don't fix things as, as you know, like something like seats wear out, mm-hmm. they're not being replaced as often 
the the atmosphere does like the some of the stuff some theaters will feel dated when you walk in it feels like a dated experience there's not there's not the level of investment in the actual infrastructure of the theater if you're gonna if you for instance i don't i don't know how the the cinema you were just referring to that shut down their food but in other places like they have whole sections that are not being used and aren't coming back in terms of like vendors or or you know like a bar area or anything like mm. that and they just sit there unused and that looks dead you walk into a place that's using half of its known half of its facilities it it, it affects how you feel about it going mm. in um i one the local regal here one of the things they did is they took out their right so when you walk in there was concessions on the right and left they took out the ones on the right and and made party rooms in there mm. and they have them set up all the time with the lights on with the, you know set up like yeah. for a party so you go, oh hey i can go see. you know so that's something but at, le at least it doesn't look like an empty unused part of your lobby mm -hmm. um the other thing that's on the positive end for regal on the negative side like they have a bunch of seats in their theaters that don't work mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or where the leather is cracking and, 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 and chipped. And it just like you walk in, you feel like you're in a discount theater sometimes mm -hmm. to the point where instead of fixing them, they actually have in their like check-in system, like an X over seats so that you can't actually book that seat because the seat is broken. So they went so far as to put it into their system but not actually like, you know, like fix the seat. So yeah. the first thing you got to do, if you want to improve it, is you have to constantly be working on the interiors, both maintenance wise and update wise. Yeah. You know, making sure you have the latest technology, making sure you've got those type of things. So that's, that's one. And I've seen that at the Regal in York too. So I don't know if anyone listens to us outside of the scope of like Lancaster in York County, but that is like the reality of, most of the theaters in our area. I think that um, Penn Cinema does a pretty good job of keeping things updated. Yeah, that's the a local independent theater. I mentioned earlier, RC Theater in York does a really good job of that too. Mm -hmm. um, but their reality is they don't have a subscription plan like Regal. Yeah. And that's really the only reason why I'm going to Regal. <laughs> yeah. Um, if I, if I had my choice, I think I would go to RC all the time. I think if you had your choice, you would go to Penn Cinema all the time. Most of the time, yeah, I would say most of the time. I mean, Regal's or uh, yeah, Regal's closer, yeah. so there is something there, but yeah, yeah, for me, they're fairly equidistant. The two theaters mm -hmm. that I prefer to go to is just one has a much more viable option for me to go see more movies. So the question is, do I sacrifice that, you know, <laughs> to just bite the bullet and get movie pass, go to less movies, but feel more comfortable about when I'm going? Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you got any, you got anything else? What what else do you think for improving theater? Uh, I didn't have any a whole lot on that. Okay. I, I had some thoughts about the other questions. Okay. So I got one more. I got one more, and that is be proactive. And this this some of this goes into what you were saying about you know like mix up the food options, give it give people more options. Um, I think in the larger scope of like if. You don't have to be as dependent on what movies happen to be coming out that weekend. You can't rely on that solely to get people into the theaters. Be proactive. Offer. I mean, they do some things like offer like Tuesday discount Tuesdays. But if you know, if you know the box office that weekend, if there's not any big movies coming out and 
I mean, there's wide variance in like the nationwide box office, some weekends versus other weekends. If you know it's going to be a slower weekend, offer discounts on the weekend. Get people, you know, more likely to come in on one of those slower weekends. Um, offer more experiences. You know, I mean, we saw the stuff with the the Barbie and Oppenheimer were organic and the theaters really didn't have anything to do with it other than to put up like, here's a photo booth mm -hmm. spot. Uh, create more of that, you know, plan something, offer, offer experiences to guests around certain themes or around certain things other than just like, hey, here's Christmas season. We'll throw up an old Christmas movie on a Wednesday or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like actually actively plan some of this stuff advertise for some of it create experiences around it offer unique interesting food choices um you don't have to just simply rely on well we'll have to wait around until you know marvel puts out another movie then we'll get the theaters back full again mm. try try some other things on the front end to get to get people in the doors I think there's opportunities for theaters to be innovative, for theaters to be creative, even even ones that are within a chain that have to do things. So that I think there are things that they could probably do to help boost attendance, to help uh, draw people in yeah. on 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 some of this stuff. And I just don't I don't see that happening very much. I think this is where we talked about Penn. I think Penn did a very good job getting creative over COVID mm -hmm. to the degree they were able to. You know, the point where they still have a um, occasional uh, drive-in theater mm -hmm. that they have on the outside of their building that they'll they'll show a drive-in movie on some weekends, um, and some of some of those type of things stayed. Yeah, but you can you can be creative, you can be innovative if you want to. To be fair, I think if we're having these discussions, I'm certain that people within the theater companies themselves are having these discussions, and there are some people who probably feel the same way but the question is are those people actually being heard or you know are they going to do anything about their suggestions <laughs> yeah and 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 i know like you know when you have to run everything by a, a large corporation that can be difficult but there's got to be stuff even on a small level that a local theater has some ability to flex on and so i think there's more room for it and i'm just not i'm not seeing that um that innovation as much as i'd like to okay well if you have any suggestions on how you want to improve the theater experience let us know we'd love to hear from you i mean obviously the main suggestion would be if rob and ryan could come with me to the movies it would improve <laughs> my theater experience but yeah. uh, it would it <laughs> absolutely would <laughs> okay uh so our next discussion topic is we're gonna throw out a random topic uh this is a free-for-all each of us selected a something anything related to do with movies and uh we'll discuss a little bit here so rob what did you bring to discuss so last night someone asked me because we were talking about movies and they um found out that i co-host movie podcasts mm. and they followed us they subscribed Oh, nice. On Spotify. So that's thank good. you. Um, but uh, more of you should do that, by the way. Uh, Absolutely. Suggesting you yeah, please do that. Uh, but one of the things they asked me was, what was the best movie you saw this year? Oh. And I kind of had to think about that. Yeah. And then I thought about why is it so hard for me to figure out what my favorite movie from this year is? And then I, I like, I opened my phone, I looked at the movies that have come out this year. 
and I was I, I noticed a trend, and I'm just gonna read some of the movies that have come out this year too. Yep. Um, Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol, mm-hmm. Part One, uh, The Exorcist: Believer, A Haunting in Venice, Five Nights at Freddy's, Blue Beetle. Uh, let's see, there are a couple more here I wanted to mention: The Boogeyman, Ant Man, Quantumania. So one thing about all these movies, at least how I feel about all these movies, is each one of these, in some way or another, disappointed. Hmm. And these are a lot of the quote-unquote big movies that came out this year. Yeah. Now, there are a couple exceptions to this. Oppenheimer. Sure. Obviously. Barbie. You know, just general audience-wise. Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, Last Voyage of the Demeter, personal one for me. Hmm. I thought it was an excellent movie. But... Overall, looking at the year, now Grand, we still have a month left. Yeah. This this feels like a disappointing year. I agree. Overall. And I'm going to even say this about Oppenheimer. Like, Oppenheimer is very, very good. But Mm -hmm. I don't think either of us would argue for it being his best movie. Yeah. I, it's, it was a very, very good movie. I, I will never have a, almost never have a biopic mm-hmm. as as my favorite Christopher Nolan movie just because of the sheer weight of the other stuff he's done and my personal taste preferences. So that's so we've seen uh, we've seen some movies make some good money at the box office. Yeah. But compared to some other years that we've done this, I haven't seen just the quality, like the overall quality across the board yeah that i'm used to seeing and i don't mm-hmm. i don't sit like i don't have a reason yeah necessarily so i'm just wondering what your thoughts are on it because when he asked me that and i looked through this i was like huh a lot of <laughs> movies this year have been really disappointing and I, I interesting think, you know we'll, we'll obviously we'll cover this in full depth in january once we get to you know we'll start doing our year review lists and yeah all that type of stuff but I, I've seen a downward trend in the quality of the movies that have come out for probably this is, I want to say maybe the third straight year. Um, and that I didn't anticipate because um, the way 2020 hit the theaters and hit movies so hard and everything got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I was honestly expecting like, there to be like almost two years of like high quality movies coming out back to back. And it just really hasn't been the case. Um, if you ask certain directors, they would say it's the Marvel effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would say it's the Marvel effect and say that that has uh, colored the theaters in a negative way because studios are, have, you know, okay, it needs to be the big budget, you know, film franchises and and some of it might still be the lingering effects of some of the higher quality like lower budget like mid-tier lower tier budget dramas got pushed back or just not in the theaters anymore i i don't know but you're right it's i think there is i mean we talked about audience uh hollywood versus audience disconnect mm-hmm. and i think you've gotten a sense with how even some of the film franchise movies have done that they just audiences are bored. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think audiences are bored and they want unique original content and it's just not been given to them. Um, yeah. I, 
I wonder if there's just Hollywood has a creative lull right now, mm -hmm. you know, like who, who, who's doing fun, innovative stuff. Nolan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is doing anything fun and innovative. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. Kind of depressing. It is. <laughs> Can you imagine us doing this podcast in like 1993 through like 1996 <laughs> or 97? Like that, we're, I, I I got some stuff planned for like going through the 90s uh -huh. in like depth because yeah. there's so many good movies. Yeah. So many, it was like golden era of movies. Maybe sometime we have to go in like the Wayback Machine and and host an episode from back in time. Oh yeah, and just like look up articles from when they came <laughs> out and pretend it'd be a period piece podcast. Yeah, when I was doing the research for Mission Impossible, that was one of the things those guys on that podcast did hmm. was they went back through like all the press release articles of of like when they were announced and also mm -hmm. like the initial critical review and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, That's we might have cool. to do that. Do yeah. some of that. Yeah. That'd be cool. You got anything else for that one? Uh, no. All right. So mine is is this, and it's somewhat related, um, but um, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my. Pay no attention to the woman behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my wife walked through the podcast. It's all right. <laughs> uh. And and it has to do with movies that are timeless versus movies that are products of their own time frame. Mm. Um, and I was thinking about this. There are some movies, like when we look back, there are some movies that just everyone still wants to watch again. Let's just say like uh, under the, the big action movies, like Back to the Future. Back to the Future caught something and still gets talked about over and over and over again. And still gets watched and still, you know, those sort of things. Whereas, like, let's say Robocop, not not so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there's still, I mean, obviously there's still some Robocop, but like not not anywhere the same level of that type of stuff. Some stuff is a product of its time, and some stuff is is more timeless. It it transcends time a little bit better. And even you think about movies like that are great movies of their time. Uh the Matrix mm. or the original Blade Runner were innovative, high quality, technological masterpieces when they came out that don't have the same level later. And you almost have to go back to the history of those movies and say, no, 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 this was what developed all the things that appear in things now like this is the forerunner to this it's like trying to trying to explain to a non-music fan the impact of the beatles <laughs> mm -hmm. like their music's okay you know it's like no you like it's it's everything that came out of that it's everything that came after that it's the setting of the stage um so i was trying to think i was trying to think about this question is we all love timeless classics or things that have transcended time are they, what do you think? Are they instinctively, are they better? Does that automatically mean that they are better movies than something that's kind of locked in its time frame? Is, is there a qualitative difference or are they two different, or can there be two different kinds of quality? What, what, do, you, what do you think on that? Is one inherently better than the other? Um, and and how, would you, how would you separate those two? I think that 
there's just so many varied degrees of quality and so many different genres and types and mm -hmm. tones of movies. And this is why we, one of the reasons why we started podcasts in the first place is that opposed to like an academic viewpoint of movies where you're yeah only saying that like this is the only version of and I look at this in the same way as literature or music or art yeah that you look at something and say this is the only version of this that has any value mm -hmm. I think there's value across the board and I think it's a different kind of value some value might be an emotional value to you some value might be this is objectively good. Some mm -hmm. value might be this is something that connects me with my friends. Some value might be this is something that was formative for me as a kid, or this is something that speaks to me now, which I, which you're talking about with something that's locked in yeah. a certain time frame. I think they're all important. I don't think that just because a movie is timeless, I will I will say like. Um, the Shawshank Redemption is yeah. my favorite movie of all time. I yeah. think that's a timeless movie. Yeah, absolutely. But just because that movie is like that, I don't think it's necessarily any better or worse than so like like um I'm gonna say Rocky. Mm. Like maybe you could argue that you can argue that the theme in that movie is timeless. I think it is, but there's also a whole lot of that movie, and if you look at the series holistically, a whole lot of the series that is locked in the 80s. <laughs> Um, that people maybe 30, 40 years from now will not understand at all, especially if they didn't live through it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not high quality. It's just a different version, mm -hmm. a different form of quality. Yeah. So I, I think there's something valuable to be taken out of both movies that you would consider timeless and movies that you would consider more um originally structured in a certain time period and i would say i would i have two minds of this one i think there is a sense i think in which movies that have transcended their their time space and genre and lived on i do tend to think that why that why them versus other movies is i think they've hit on on some sort of human universal in a way that transcends time. And I think the ability to hit on something universal in, in a high quality strategic way, like um, a lesson in humanity or, you know, the way relationships go or timeless characters or whatever it is, how they did that in that moment that allows them to transcend their era I think there's an inherent quality in that that some movies don't attain. Um, now, some movies may not be trying to, but that's, mm. I think, so I think from that standpoint, there is something inherently better about them from that unique point of view in that they hit on something that really, really fascinates audiences because they're, they're a part of human nature. Like I, I'll just use the example of Back to the Future. That idea of time travel has been fascinating to human beings forever because we're all creatures of time. We're all locked into time. And so the idea of transcending that is doing 
well, but there's something about that particular iteration of it that hits differently than all the other time travel movies that have ever been made. <laughs> so I'm just like inherently, I think there's something there's something elevated about their quality. Now that being said, um, certain movies have a better chance of doing that versus others by their nature. The Shawshank Redemption is a period piece. So we don't have to worry about modern, you know, so-called modern technology mm. or any or any of that updated technology stuff because it is dated in a specific period. So you are not expecting transcendence from the you know, like a technological state of mind or, or even something like uh, there's even though there's been updates, there's been massive amount of updates in CGI and and filmmaking techniques there's something about the lord of the rings mm -hmm. because it's a fictional you know kind of middle earth fantasy story that you don't have to worry about that time transcendence so i think the opportunity of like time-based period pieces give greater opportunity for transcendence than something like the matrix <laughs> which was heavily built around both philosophical stuff which i think is somewhat transcendent but also the uh, new and innovative technology, which very quickly is no longer new and innovative. Mm -hmm. And so some of the wow factor is gone. And that's, I mean, that's where it was with me with Blade Runner is it was very difficult for me to transport myself back to be able to see that through the lens of somebody watching it in that moment and seeing all of the unbelievable visuals for the first time based on that era. But I think we can appreciate the innovations and we can appreciate their place in history mm -hmm. along those lines. So I think a film that's locked in its time frame but still led to other things, I think that's another form of quality that can be appreciated in an experience. Mm -hmm. so. yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel pretty much the same. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so we're going to close and wrap up today with our watch list. Movies that we watched over the last week. What'd you watch, Rob? So I said that I watched Five Nights at Freddy's again. Yes. So I, like I said, I think it's more average than terrible. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe two and a half to three stars out of five. <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched uh, Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken. Oh, interesting. I've never heard of this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I really had not heard of it. And then it was a DreamWorks movie. Okay. So the same studio that did Shrek. Yeah. Et cetera. Um, uh, my daughter really liked it. Definitely has some references to modern culture, the way some things are going, you know, in general with life and kids <laughs> <laughs> that you have to talk through. But um, I thought it was pretty decent um, overall story-wise, art-wise. Uh not the best anime movie you've ever seen, but not terrible either. Um, and did I go see anything? I feel like I saw something in the theater that I didn't write down. I did go to the theater. What did I see? <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I have this real app that I can look up my tickets on. Maybe I, uh, maybe I am thinking about... It's possible I'm thinking about uh, Five Nights at... Freddy's. Yeah. May have been the most recent movie I watched in my app is I could not find my history on the app the last yeah. time I went on there. It's <laughs> it's, it's been working sometimes and then it disappears. 
So I'm I'm not sure. Okay. Uh yeah. Uh so there's kind of two for me. I um as part of the weekly movie challenge for last week, we were supposed to watch a movie that was game themed. And I took that in a slightly different direction and watched the imitation game hmm. uh, with Benedict Cumberbatch about Alan Turing and the development of one of the first computers that helped them solve the uh, Enigma, break the Enigma code machine that German subs used uh, for, for communication. And so it was part, it was part World War II drama, part biopic for Alan Turing. Uh, there are some very, very good, interesting elements to it. Um, Kira Knightley is great in that as well. Um, I love World War II era stuff. And this really was one of the most important things that happened in World War II. Uh, Alan Turing is, of course, considered one of the fathers of the, of the computer. as uh, one of the first ones to develop stuff. He also did things like um, the Turing test for mm-hmm. AI. So it was a really fascinating character. Um, it was interesting, too, because I had, last week I had watched Steve Jobs and uh, Steve Jobs, uh, when he came back and was going to do the the new Think Different Mac campaign, he originally had a, a version of Alan Turing in there, but nobody recognized the picture of Alan Turing, so hmm. he took him out of the campaign. It was like, this need, needs to be somebody who everyone recognizes instantly, um, hmm. but has been kind of the father of the modern computer that, that tracks uh, really fascinating, interesting character. Mm-hmm. Definitely had... Uh, had some stuff going on, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it was very important to the Allied war effort. Um, I also watched uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning again because uh, it came out on for a purchase, hmm. physical copy for purchase. So I purchased the physical copy and then set about watching it. I still, I still really like. I like the movie. Um, I don't know that my opinion on it has changed. I think it's still, I, I like the movie. I don't think it's as good as it could have been. And I think my my qualms with it are still exactly the same. So I, I don't, on, on kind of the, the next watching of it, I don't know that I gleaned more from it or or mm. that I have more of a sense of of some of this stuff than I do of others. But it uh, I still like it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And I'm so disappointed that we got to wait yet another year for mm-hmm. the uh, the next Mission week. Impossible. No longer Dead Reckoning Part no. Two. <laughs> no longer Dead Reckoning Part Two. Summer 2025. <laughs> so that was my week. All right, all right. Uh, so that is the show. Thanks for checking out Film for Fans. Rate, subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. And until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>